Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Welcome back to this third and final episode on the introduction to astrology and embodiment. Today is Friday, February 17th, 2023, and we're at the tail end of Aquarius season for the sun, which means we're more than halfway through February and heading into our new moon phase later this weekend. I think it's a nice time to set intentions for the coming spring equinox, as the time between the new moon on February 20th to the next new moon on March 23rd is that time leading us through the spring equinox. For me as an amateur but lover of gardening, my eyes are already on seeds and the small signals in our front garden that the tulip bulbs are nosing their way through the soil. Time hasn't quite quickened yet, but here we've got a bit of a warm spell, so a little spring fever, a little Aries energy seems to be popping into this tail end of Aquarius season, even though we still have a few weeks of Pisces, this great sort of thaw out and water time before we go into emergence. Today I'd like to finish talking on the introduction to astrology and embodiment by introducing our final general feature that I regularly look at in my own and clients' charts when thinking about the conscious embodiment process. In the last two episodes, I defined my own terms of embodiment as the conscious and continual process of stewarding a home for the soul so that we may come to understand our true nature. And what I mean by true nature are those elements of ourselves that are beyond or maybe beneath our character strategies. You could also say to the side, it's not really a hierarchy, but it's just, it's different than our character strategy. When I was studying an embodied psychotherapeutic system called the Hakomi Method, and you can look it up if you don't know it, it's a really cool process to work with the unconscious. The founder of that school, Ron Kurtz, used to refer to us as having two selves. And what he meant by that is there's an adaptive self and an experiencing self. In a similar way, we can think often about who we think ourselves to be is sort of a strategy. It's a character that our experiencing self has constructed out of navigating usually early environments. And early environments means a whole lot of things. So there, there could be a whole podcast series on um, our character strategies or character theory and the first six years of life. But think about character as this thing that we semi-consciously molded ourselves out of and were molded by. You know, it's a two-way kind of circular process from our early environments. 
this character and adaptive self can change and is malleable, but because we are organized efficiently and our brain is really good at making patterns and wanting to take shortcuts, what happens is that our character strategies continue to be used over and over. And character strategies are things like body postures and movements. It's also um, the way we see possibility in the world, how we relate with people. And most of this is constructed and designed from our early on experiencing self, learning how to make a character or an adaptive self to navigate life. So even when environment and people around us have changed, we often will still use the same character strategy through time. So Hakomi was built out of an older and kind of more stagnant, but very interesting um, therapeutic theory, um, and it's known as character theory. So you can kind of read more about that character theory and analysis. Uh, there's a book by Wilhelm Reich. I believe it's called Character Theory or Character Analysis. You can look that up. Um, but Hakomi's aim was to support the experiencing self to witness the adaptive self and its mechanism to also support that and then in real time create new possibility so that a fresh more potential like potential self or potent self could emerge if the person discerned that it could be useful anyways all this to say when i speak of true nature i'm thinking of this experiencer so not the adaptive self not the character but the one who is experiencing it is also the consciousness that experiences the elements of this life and it is you know i think there's a lot of different ideas around this experiencing self as sort of witness consciousness some people might think of it as that but it's been in my experience and maybe it's my living question right now and working with myself and others that our experiencing self actually has some fundamental ways of perceiving and preferring or organizing the digestion of sensory material so that we don't all have a same kind of experiencing self. We've got different neurologies, we've got different elemental preferences. So through the continual study of ourselves through embodiment, we come to discern what is our character strategy, uh, why we may have done that, um, what we're prone to do, what we keep doing, how we built that. We can question its utility, and we can also reveal components of our true nature. And that is like our way. It's our experiencing self. It's like our how, our Tao, our way. As we live more fully in our experiencing self as a creative potential, we can steward a home for the soul. In a sense, then, as an experiment or a living question, or just a for all of us, myself, for you, we can think of a soul or a soul as something that's both of us and not completely of us. So 
when I just said that now, I'm thinking of the image of a bridge. So what is something, you know, what image helps you think about something that is both of us and not of us, both of those things? Somehow I'm also reminded of the roomy poem, The Guest House, that every morning, every day, our experiencing self witnesses and co-creates with both the archetypes or planetary energies and the essence of something other. So that is that something other, if I'm going to use the word soul, we can also say it's that something other that we, when we watch ourselves long enough, we start to feel into that there is something other than our way, than our true nature, something other than the archetypes and the character strategy. So it's that thing. And maybe that thing or that space or that energy that is of us and not of us that emerges sometimes. So how then does astrology play into the process or inquiry of embodiment? So as we receive our natal charts at birth, we will have a blueprint or a map for studying if we like. It can be taken upon or not. We can still have a life. We can live a life without going through or studying embodiment or even doing any work or conscious thought about the soul. But all of this adds dimension. The map, the, the birth chart, gives us a constellation of symbols and archetypes to study so that we may wonder who or what is showing up when. For example, just real practically, when we have something come over us that feels like a temper or temper tantrum as a young person or even as an adult, we can ask, is that my temper or my anger? Or has Mars been activated in my chart and I'm experiencing this? Is it happening inside of me? Am I witnessing it outside of me and resonating? Or another example. Is this my depression or heaviness? Does it belong to me? Or is this a particular Saturn transit? And I think there's actually other questions, but for the purpose of an astrology podcast, that's a really awesome way to use self-study and astrology. You can feel something and then you can immediately look at transits or see where you are in time and just make the study. Does it make sense astrologically? Is it something else that's going on? And I like this one too. Am I falling apart? Am I feeling lost at sea? Am I very confused all the time? What's going on? Is it me? Or is Neptune crossing over an important natal placement in my chart? And honestly, as you come to study yourself and kind of put these things together for you, you might start to see some clear patterns emerge with the archetypes, and you might also get some answers. Hmm, it is something else. Maybe it isn't the astrology that's jumping out to me right now. By getting to know the planetary archetypes, we start to wonder or study what is my essence or nature? What is it of what is my character? So, what's my nature? What's my character? For example, am I by design more a Martian? 
a mercurial person or nature? Our astrological placements, I'm suggesting, is an important component of our character strategy. Once our experiencing self witnesses these strategies and these character components and the way the archetypes influence us, what we take on as part of our character, we can begin to cosmically collaborate so that through our awareness, we set a wider table of possibility for something else to emerge. This something else to emerge or to invite this something else to appear, we can name soul. We can use the term insolment. I like insolment because it insinuates that there is a process, that there is a possible conscious integration of the principle of soul, and I feel like soul is more a moving principle than a thing itself. We just need to have a word. So again, you can use the word soul. I like the image of a bridge. I like that, you know, there's a feeling we have on ourselves when we're having a soulful experience. So think about the word soul for you, in sold, having a soulful experience, or noticing a person, place, or thing that feels like it has a soul to it. And just kind of get into your experience, experience of the word and the, the parameters of soul for you. While the planets and archetypes make often uh, elements of our character strategy, so that these archetypes, when we have a very prominent planet, if we don't work with integrating the whole chart, oftentimes they'll be part of the chart, part of the archetype that really stands out and becomes part of our character strategy. So we use that, we use the strong point or we use this thing that stands out in our chart and we kind of, I don't want to say we're drug along by it, but it almost it's almost as if we are being ensnared by that energy, it becomes part of our character strategy and belief systems. There are a few broader pieces of astrology of our chart that actually indicate, I think, something different than archetypal influence or character strategies. And this is our general how or our general Tao or our way or our essence, or our tone, and this is what I'm calling true nature. These are indicated, I think, as I'm studying this, by the dominant and least dominant element in our chart, and also the sign and placement of our planetary ruler, as indicated by our rising sign. So go back, if you need to re-listen, for an overview on the most dominant and least dominant elements in a chart, Go back to the last two episodes, which kind of focus on that and more about how I view embodiment. So after hearing these theoretical or possible explanations between psychology, embodiment, and astrology, what are your first thoughts or personal questions? 
you might also like to write down these three things, character, character strategies. So that's one thing. The second thing would be true nature or essence or tone or my way. And the third thing would be soul or ensoulment. So, so far we've talked about these three different things, these three different principles. So write those down, think about them a little bit and see what questions emerge. See if you can feel and know the difference between those three elements in your own body mind. I invite us to continue in the place of curiosity. So a lot of this is speculative. I must again make mention, I am not a medical astrologer. I do not authorize in any way to prescribe or diagnose anything. And in fact, although I am an astrologer, psychological astrologer, and a hands-on practitioner with a good knowledge of the body, I also consider myself a speculative thinker. So I put these things together and I see what, what emerges from the practice of working with the body, studying psychology and astrology. And um, I'm also open to test that out and see what doesn't fit. So that's kind of that flexible sort of speculative mind um, that I have. And so I invite us to continue with curiosity through this. When thinking about our true nature as how we go about things or our way, our Tao, we can recognize ourselves and others that we both have character strategies and we also have a way about us. Broadly, the way about us or the how of us you know, some words to consider that are sort of beyond character are words like, these are just some examples. Is your way nonlinear, funneled, focused, scattered, slow and steady, quick moving, agile, driven, whimsical, happy go lucky, private, one at a time processing? multitasker, deliberate. And when you're thinking of these words, this is something that goes across many different spheres of your life. Generally, the broader we can stay with this and just think about how we go about things. You might be able to see it in another person a little bit better than you because you're watching them, especially something someone you're living with or a friend. And you might say that a true essence or true nature is kind of like a tone. It's, you're looking at a painting. In the painting, there's also a tone to the painting. And paintings have different tones, and that's made up of colors and hues and things that are in the painting. But the painting itself has a tone. It's the most general essence that you're picking up about the painting. So the planetary placements or say, things in the painting would determine the character, but the tone, the general tone of the whole thing, and the character are different. The tone or mood can also be seen across the board in the way a character does simple things. So something in the tone would be consistent about how this character gets up from a chair, signs their signature, reads a newspaper, goes for a walk, 
eats lunch, talks to you on the phone, you'll see some things repeat again and again. This tone or true nature will be a consistent way of movement, a, a way that goes across many different domains. And this can be seen also and heard in tone of voice, tone of voice and facial gestures and the way that the body moves through space, including prosody and the pace of breath. So now we're starting to get deep into the somatics of the self. If you were to ascribe some broad words, some broad tonal words to yourself, that describes a way or ways that you go about things, what words would you use? Or what words are some that others have ascribed to you? Now, I've been in study groups where we're actually watching people do very mundane things, like get up and go get a, a pencil off a desk and then sit down and recite a short poem and then um, go over and look out the window. And we were trying to pick up this sort of common thread. So I've, I've looked at this a while and you can do this again with people. Um, if you're people watching even, and just kind of follow several things. So I've gotten some practice with myself. So some words I would choose for myself or I've learned about myself that are kind of consistent across time and space through many different tasks are deliberate. I would choose the word deliberate, focused, thorough, and strong-willed. And some of my ways have caused my character to be perceived as driven, intense, graceful, or charismatic. But these are, those are of my character, not of the way or my how. It's not the way I feel myself to move within the experience of reality. My true nature is how I perceive myself taking in and moving around a sensory world. Character is much more about engagement, and it's in the realm often of human interaction and what we make of each other. Besides dominant and least dominant elements as indicators of our way or true nature, we each also have a planetary ruler, or the planet that rules our natal charts, and it's exhibited in the rising sign or the ascendant. And when I think of planetary ruler, the other words I think of that go together with that is um, the planet that is sort of the driver or navigator, or let's say the one who sets the tone, or the way, or the mood of the whole organism, the whole orchestra. Planetary ruler is determined by our rising sun. The planetary rulers possible are the sun, the moon, Mars, Venus, Saturn, or Jupiter. And I'm just staying with the traditional astrology. So 
modern astrologers might also put in outer planets and say uh, Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus. And uh, you can also, you can definitely check that out. I think there's enough combinations with the traditional planetary rulers that it's a really good basis of study. And you can always add on other dimensions. So we're going to stick kind of with the basics and just go with the traditional planetary rulers. So if you are a Leo rising, your planetary ruler is the sun. Cancer rising, planetary ruler is the moon. Aries or Scorpio is Mars. Libra or Taurus is Venus. Capricorn or Aquarius is Saturn. Sagittarius or Pisces, your planetary ruler is Jupiter. So make note, if you don't already know, you take piece of paper or write in your journal your planetary ruler go ahead and name it and if you already know your planetary ruler get out your chart and also make note of the sign and the house your planetary ruler lives in in your chart so let's just dive into a random example say a person has the most dominant element of fire their least dominant element is earth and their rising sign is Aquarius, or they are Aquarius rising. That means Saturn is this chart's planetary ruler. Saturn, as a driver or tone setter or a navigator, has structure to it. Saturn, as an archetype, is about boundaries, slow movement over time, building, conservation, preservation, restraint constraint. What other words do you associate with Saturn? So this is where just the general knowledge of the archetype comes in. What other things you think about when you think about Saturn? Try to go for things um, that are both positive and negative and also neutral. And notice that, you know, things like constraint can also be, you know, depending on the situation, it could be a good thing. Um, it could be a challenging thing, but I, I, I want us to try to get through the whole spectrum of good, bad, neutral. We all have had, if you think about this, in your past, we've all had sort of Saturn-like teachers in our life. And that could have been actually in formal school or just people that taught you something. Um, so maybe think back to... Um, growing up in elementary or middle school, or maybe a, a teacher, um, think about a Saturn ruled or a Saturn toned person. They may be the firm, methodical kind of folks, oriented to an awareness of time and um, linearity, and having a strong structure in their classroom and being unbending. Um, Saturn is a cold planet. It's, it's not super flexible. Um, so there's other things. Just try to think if, if there were Saturn toned people in your life, what and who were those people? What were they like? They may be frugal, you know, just awareness of resources. Um, the more specific we get, the, the more we start to get into the interplay of other planets. So, you know, stay broad with that and think if there is, have been any Saturn-like people in your life. So in our example chart, we might wonder, 
if having Saturn as a chart ruler helps to give some ground or structure to the whole of the chart or person. Since the chart is low on the earth elemental and high in the fire elemental, we might wonder what that planetary driver, what Saturn does with that kind of energy flowing through the chart. This may also depend on where and what sign Saturn is placed in. So if that ruling planet is well-placed and in Capricorn, we might wonder and think that that Saturn in Capricorn could potentially steward and guide all of that fire in sort of a practical, useful direction. So the character may be spicy and fiery, but the driver, the mood, the tone, the, the one who's organizing, the orchestra, the conductor may have enough structure and capability to work with that fire. But say if that Saturn is in Aries, opposed by Mars, we might wonder if there would be a friction or an agitation of an element of stop or go motion, because that Saturn then would also be placed in a fire sign. And when we have things that are hot, and then we have things that are stopping that friction or agitation can come up or frustration. So words like scratchiness or stop and go, starting the car, putting the brakes on forward and back, and it's not quite as smooth. Uh, and Saturn in Aries is a different kind of driver than a Saturn in Capricorn. Now, could you imagine what the difference might be between a person who is fire dominant and lacking in earth with a planetary ruler of Saturn versus that same person who has a planetary driver or ruler of Mars. Say that the fire dominant chart was also in Aries rising. How would you imagine this person's orientation to experience would be? Would it be same or different than our Saturn rising sign? So in short, Saturn carries with it themes or predispositions of structure, boundaries, building, awareness of time, steadiness, coldness, heaviness. Mars, by contrast, just get into the basics of the archetype here. Mars, by contrast, is hot, quick, direct, intuitive, impulsive, edgy, aggressive, forthright spicy, heat generating. If we have a fire dominant chart, that's also a Mars ruled chart. And we've already got that heat going. There's, there's a real different interaction with the world, the way that body moves, the way that mind, the way that the whole somatic experience deals with the world and is in it. Maybe even environments that this conglomeration of energy would prefer and sometimes it can show up in actual body symptoms and sometimes when folks are seeking balance or they find dis-ease again we're, we're we get flared up in one part of our chart or one kind of elemental now we also have to think mars could be we could have that same chart that fire dominant chart with the lacking of the earth element, and we could also be a Mars-driven chart 
but instead of Aries rising, we could have Scorpio rising. So that's the kind of details we're going to get into in these next several sessions, these talk sessions about embodiment, is when we look at certain example charts and we think about how a planetary driver or the tone of a chart would be different if the planetary ruler was Mars through the lens of an Aries rising or Scorpio rising. But before we go into the detail over the coming weeks of planetary rulers, take a big breath and take a moment to write out or think about each planetary ruler. You can think about it as its archetypal qualities, much like we have done with Saturn and Mars. I like putting them next to each other and just try to generate some words and play with contrast. Like if Saturn is restrictive or constructive, Jupiter, by contrast, is expansive and or excessive. So by playing with contrast between the archetypes, we can start to see tonal patterns emerging. Remember to find your least dominant and most dominant element. What is your planetary ruler? And the last step, if you know your planetary ruler, what house and what sign is it in? And by piecing together this study of planetary rulers in line with our dominant and least dominant elements, we'll start to unfold a deeper picture of true nature and essence in the coming weeks. Until next time. Breathe deep, linger long.